0: What went through your mind when you saw Joe go down? Nothing. Um, just went over there to talk to him, see how he was feeling. You know what I'm saying? We always give each other that look, that nod. And he told me he's going to be all right. So, you know, he's a strong dude. He'd be good. Nod. Yeah, he just gave me a nod. He's all right. So, you know, Joe's a strong dude.
1: Well, the day in Cincinnati ended with a slightly more jovial tone than we thought. It was one of those days, and I've explained that this is the time of year where football fans of a given team, of a given player, people who cover the sport, you're just kind of waiting and bracing for lightning to strike somewhere. Nobody knows where or that it's even definitely going to happen, but it does from time to time, and it can alter the course of an entire season for a player, for a team, for a league. That's going to be one of the major topics this morning as Miles Simmons is back for the first time in five weeks as we are here on PFT Live for the next two hours. Peacock, Series XM 85, Sky Sports Action Podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Miles, welcome back.
0: Thank you very much, Mike. Uh, good morning. We are another Friday closer to the season. It is a good thing. And, uh, yeah, man, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to see you. I I feel like I haven't actually gotten to like talk to you, talk to you in a while. So this is good. This is really good.
1: So it's been a good run for you. It's been six (laughs) weeks. Actually, I'm doing the math here. We were off for five. We capped the pre hiatus run you and me together, because Chris Sims rarely works on Fridays, and when he does, we never hear the end of it. So you're back for the first time in six weeks, and football is back. And I don't know if you had the same experience I did, but it was getting a little sparse when it comes to the coverage of the NFL, when it comes to the tracking down of stories worthy of writing up and posting at PFT. And you almost get to the point, and I've done this over and over again, where I start to wonder – is it ever going to pick up again? And then it's just like, boom, it all happens. And this week has been one thing after another as the camps are all open and there's been press conferences and there's contract disputes and there's running back controversy. And, and yesterday there was close call for the Bengals and quarterback Joe Burrow.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's kind of like a bucket of water just being dumped onto you all of a sudden after it's like drip, 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 drip for a long time. And I don't mind the slow time of the NFL. I mean, that's the only five weeks, really, that is the off season, kind of where we had the hiatus, is between the end of mini camps and the start of training camps. And so, yeah, last week it was kind of a little because the Chiefs got their training camp going, the Jets got their training camp going, the Browns were doing some things out there by you in West Virginia. And then this week, it's like, ah, like, okay, we're back. All right. Ah, and you just got to kind of reframe uh, your mind to being like, okay, it's going to be this thing and then this thing and then this thing and this thing. It's, it's you just got to get yourself back into it.
1: I've had people who don't live in West Virginia ask me if I'm going to stop by the Browns training camp in West Virginia. And the way it works, where the Greenbrier is relative to where I am, I think I can get to Brown's training camp in Ohio more quickly than I could get to Brown's training camp in West Virginia because it's two-lane roads and it's a good two-and-a-half, three-hour drive, and it's not an easy – two and a half three hour drive you have to actually you know pay close attention because you're Uh, going left and you're going right and then there's a cow in the road and i'm just it's a very there's no not a uh, cow in the road but uh, there's 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 critters and varmints and other things in the road all right Uh, yeah 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 Yeah, that's a factor too you don't want to get lost it's one thing to get lost in ohio it's another thing to get lost in west virginia but i digress uh okay so uh, what Jamar Chase was talking about at the very top of the program related to the the thing that got everyone's attention. Joe Burrow at practice, rolling out to his right, trying to run, stopping, hopping, calf injury, carted off with a calf injury. Here's the play, Mark V. Slaughter. Oh, he Mark V. Slaughter bought the, the fake, and then just after a couple of steps, there it is. And he's got a sleeve on the calf already. See, he already had something. And anybody that's ever had a calf strain knows. Until it is entirely healed, it can grab on you at any time. And it grabbed right there, and he pulled up, and he just decided instead of hopping back to the locker room, he'll take a cart ride. He gave Jamar Chase the nod. And uh, so yeah. I, I when you see that lower leg, I mean, the, the big concern is he blew out his Achilles tendon because that's the one that ends it. That's it. It's done. So mm-hmm. that's what everybody was bracing for after seeing that video and hearing he had been carted off. Is his Achilles tendon gone? And that's the kind of thing you don't need an MRI. All you need to, is somebody who knows what they're feeling for because if the Achilles is torn, it's just not there. So right. uh, that's the good news for the Bengals. It's just a matter of rest, recovery, et cetera. Uh, but, man, there was a little while there yesterday – where the AFC North gets uh, gets reshuffled pretty quickly if if Joe Burrow isn't available to play in 2023.
0: Well, oh, man, it's not just the AFC North; it's the entire conference. I mean, I don't know about you, Mike, but I'm still expecting the Bengals to be at the top of that conference. And if you don't have Joe Burrow there, who is an MVP candidate, I think we can all probably assume that. then that really does change it changes the outcome practically the entire season and it's interesting too because just on uh, Wednesday he was talking about how you know he says knock on wood this is my first training camp that is really one where I'll be able to fully participate where everything is healthy Hell, Alanis Morissette might call this ironic right but if you look at 2020 when he came in it's the COVID year then you look at uh, 2021 he's coming back from the ACL injury. Yeah. You can keep groaning. If you want to, you look at, and then last year he had the appendectomy. So I I think that whenever you have something like this, if, if it does hopefully just end up being the calf strain, right. And that's what the Bengals have kind of put out there, then you're saying, all right, well, Joe Burrow could still be ready for the opener. And even if he's not ready for the opener, then it's not going to be something that's too too long-term. Right? And that means that the Bengals are still going to be able to be at the top of the AFC North. They're still going to be at the top of the conference. But if you were talking about anything else other than that, I mean, oh my gosh, like this it changes the complexion of the entire 2023 NFL season to me.
1: I appreciate that graphic very much, but there's an opportunity missed. We could have gone with the Latin campus interruptus. That really uh-huh. would have worked for this graphic. Now, Now, I would like to do one thing before we hear from Bengals coach Zach Taylor on the Joe Burrow injury. Can we play the Trags video again? I want to give a little nugget to our friends in the U.K. and Ireland who are watching on Sky Sports Action because as Joe Burrow is rolling to his right and as he pulls up... With the protracted hopping, it evokes memories of the Ministry of Silly Walks from Monty Python. And again, the folks in the UK and Ireland will appreciate that, as will some stateside, because Monty Python was big here as well. But, and I only can say that because he's, he's fine. Obviously, we wouldn't be having that fun if he was anything but fine. And here is Zach Taylor from yesterday expressing confidence that Joe Burrow will indeed be fine
0: was there any issue before coming into today for, for him to wear that?
2: I mean I think a lot of guys after the first day had some soreness and that's it but um, I know over the course of practice he felt good
0: I know this is so fresh but he's been talking a lot about how much he was looking forward to a normal camp what's your message gonna to be to him well we, we don't have any information yet so I'm not gonna have any message ready until we get more info with the outside the pocket freelance stuff
1: like was that built into the plan today
0: no that's no that no not necessarily was he just tucking it there? Yeah, he was just scrambling. Yeah.
1: Message to the team, Zach. After something like that happens, obviously the team this
2: message. This is football. Guys go down with an injury that maybe is a day thing. Who knows? Um, so we, we don't we don't message the team after every single person goes down. There's there's a lot of guys that had soreness today. Um, that had that reps cut down a little bit. So that's just part of playing football and training camp. Sounds
0: like it's don't panic. Sure. Did you watch his? The- practice plan at all after Joe left? Nope. Do you worry that when injuries like this happen for some of the guys with some of their contracts stuff that this might impact them wanting to practice? Nope.
1: Yeah. Serenity now. Serenity now. There is no way Joe Burrow should set foot on a practice field or play in a game until he gets his contract finalized. That's the big takeaway from yesterday. And I've got some other thoughts on that as well. But I I love how Zach Taylor tries to interject the same nonchalance that he would apply if you've got your left guard gets banged up and you put the backup in or your left outside middle or left outside linebacker gets gets injured and you put, you know, LB2. And this is this is the guy that is the centerpiece of your franchise, the most important player that the Bengals have ever had on their team. It would be a somewhat bigger deal, Miles, if Joe Burrow was not able to go for an extended period of time.
0: Yeah, no stuff, Sherlock. Right? I mean, but the the problem that Zach Taylor had at that moment is he doesn't really have any information, and so you know, you're getting bombarded with questions. And it's not like I'm trying to criticize the Cincinnati Cincinnati press corps. There, I mean, they're they're doing their jobs because obviously, if the quarterback goes down of a potential Super Bowl contender, that is the story, not just there, but in the entire NFL. But if you're Zach Taylor, you really don't have much information other than we know it's a calf injury. We don't know how long he's going to be out. We don't know how severe the calf strain is, if it is a calf strain, if it could be something else. Right. So all he can do is kind of field questions in that way. And I think that's one of the things that has made Zach Taylor as successful as he's been there, aside from the fact that he has Joe Burrow, is that he is so steady. You know, and I think that even keel demeanor has really, really helped him. It'll lead the Bengals over the last couple of years through all the things that they have had to navigate through. So, I mean, I got a feel for Zach Taylor in that moment where, like, yeah, you understand that this is the story, but you, there's only so much you can do when you don't have any information.
1: And he had that kind of forced posing for your school picture smile. When it all started, like he knew what right. was coming and yes. he knew what he was going to say. And it was all football guy stuff. But at the end of the day, it worked out well. Now, I mentioned the sleeve on the leg. And mm-hmm. I, look, when something like this happens, it sparks all sorts of speculation that makes its way into oh, my boy. phone. When you have the well-earned reputation for being a top five conspiracy theorist in the NFL other people in the NFL who may be trying to get to the top five will send you text messages with different ideas, either uh-huh. to instigate you to repeat them on the air or just for their own curiosity. And there mm-hmm. is a theory out there. There is a theory out there that, that this, is just Burrow, this is just Burrow making damn sure hey, – there's the Ministry of Silly Walks – that he's making damn sure – He's not going to put himself in harm's way until he gets his contract. And I don't buy it because I think Burrow wouldn't need to go through that ruse. I think he would just say, hey, guys, I'm not practicing. But you know what? Here's what wouldn't surprise me at all. He's got, And this is the sleeve on the leg that makes me think of this. He's got this something. He already maybe tweaked a little bit. And so he's decided if it grabs at all, if it pulls at all, I'm just shutting it down. I'm just done. I'm just I'm stopping. I'm going to hop. I'm going to stop and I'm done. If I feel anything in this leg, I got a sleeve on it. We'll see if the sleeve works. The slightest amount of grab and I'm done. Which which means it's not fake, it's not embellished. It's just I'm not messing around with this thing because I got bigger fish to fry as relates to the contract that I'm due to earn. That to me is not conspiracy theory, that's reality. And the sleeve fuels this idea that he was programmed yesterday the slightest amount of of discomfort pain grab he's done and it's smart good business decision to be done you don't want to get yourself injured until you've
0: got your long-term financial security i would counter that by saying is that not in the best interest of the team I mean, like, I mean, Joe Burrow can say, like, "Oh, yeah, well, if it grabs, then don't do anything. Then shut it down." But wouldn't you, if you're Zach Taylor, and it is July 27th, and the first game isn't for another six, seven weeks, whenever the hell it is? Like, yeah, if it really grabs on you, then shut it down, well, dude. Yes. So we don't have something yes. that yeah. that you know prevents you from being the guy that we need you to be when we need you to be that guy. I mean, like, th- that's not just. Joe Burrow's interest, that I think is also in the best interest of the Cincinnati Bengals or at large. I mean, that, that's if you have that kind of injury, you know, a little soft tissue thing that early in camp, you, you do that. You, you shut it down so that you're not making it worse than it has to be.
1: But as a top five NFL conspiracy theorist, I must officially reject the idea I, that the whole thing was contrived for the purposes of, of allowing Burrow to not practice or play until he gets his contract. But that said, he should not practice or play until he gets his contract. And, and I thought this through a little bit yesterday as well. Because let's say it had been a ruptured Achilles and he's done for the year. I still think there's a chance that Bengals would have signed him and paid him. Because yeah. you piss the guy off. You know What he's going to do is, if you don't play this the right way, he says, okay, Bengals, here's how it's going to be. Five years of my rookie contract, you can tag me once, you can tag me twice, then it's see you later Cincinnati. I'm gone. I tried. I wanted to be here. I wanted to stay here. You didn't support me when I got myself injured, trying to get myself ready to play for the 2023 season, and you had yet to give me my contract, and now you're not going to give me my contract until next year? Fine. Don't ever give it to me then. I'll see you later when I'm playing for one of your division rivals. Maybe in Pittsburgh, they'll pay me at some point down the road, or elsewhere that you have to deal with me once or twice a year. So I still think they would have taken care of him, but obviously it introduces an unwelcome dynamic if he's not playing at all this year, and then they're turning around and making him the highest paid player in the NFL when he's not going to play in 2023.
0: Well, yeah, but I, I do think that I, – I think you're right in that they probably would have paid him anyway. And certainly, yeah, at this point, he should not be back on the practice field until he has his new deal and he has signed it and that ink is dry. But I, I think what's interesting is he was asked kind of about that on Wednesday in his press conference. And one of the reporters asked him, you know, why do you want to be out there to practice when, you know, you could kind of have a hold in – right. And make sure that you get everything that you want in your deal before you step out there on the practice field. And what he said was, I feel like I need these reps. Right. That's and that goes back to where he has not been able to really participate fully in training camp yet in his entire career. Right. So he just wanted to be able to be out there and be there with his team and as the quarterback, be the one who sets the example and be the one who leads. Right. So, like I said, it's kind of a cruel twist of fate that as he was on the podium saying, knock on wood, this will be the year that I'll be okay for this entire thing, he's not. So we'll see how long he's going to be out for. But like I said, at least he's not going to be out for the entire year with something like this. And it does present uh, the Bengals and Burroughs representation uh, an opportunity to up the urgency a little bit on whatever is going on with the contract because Justin Herbert's thing is already done. And now you, all you need to do is just hammer this thing out. I mean, that's got to be priority A for the Bengals and for Burroughs' representation over however long this thing lasts so that he has the security that he needs to feel comfortable when he steps out there on the field next.
1: You know, I'm disappointed you buried the lead in your most What's recent that? comments. I really am disappointed. Well, you have proven very conclusively and persuasively that knock on wood doesn't work. Oh, we now true. know. We now know you're just wasting your time. Well, don't bother here's the thing. to knock on wood.
0: He said it. I don't know if he actually did it. Like I don't know if I don't know what that podium's made out of in Cincinnati. I don't know if there's wood anywhere. I don't know if the reporters have desks if they were knocking on wood. I mean, dude is that journalistically sound oh. if you knock on wood as a reporter for a player that you cover? I don't know. I mean, hey, if you say it, it's one thing, but if you do it, it's another.
1: Well. Knock on wood if you're with me, if you can find some wood on which to knock. But uh my, my my father would insist that that knock on wood works, that every superstition either aimed at directing fate in your favor or warding off the evil spirits that others may cast upon you. All that stuff works. And you gotta follow all of it. And there's a whole list of of suspicions and superstitions and branches and reverse jinxes and I just ignore all of it. I ignore all of it. If hey, hey if somebody you want to put it, you want to put the fascia, the malocchio, yeah, that's fine. Go ahead. Do your do your best. Do your worst. I've lived long enough to prove that that stuff doesn't work. Uh, but knock yeah. on wood, just to be safe, anyway. There was no knocking on wood in Miami apparently because Jalen Ramsey has a torn meniscus that he suffered in practice yesterday. The report is at least six to eight weeks. I think that it's more like when you do the full-blown meniscus repair, here's the thing about the meniscus, and even though I have no medical training whatsoever no knowledge of how the body works, when you cover the NFL for 20-plus years, you begin to pick up some things about different injuries, and when you tear the meniscus, which is a thick flap of cartilage in your knee, you can either trim off the torn piece, which leaves you with less cartilage in your knee, which long-term isn't a good thing, or they can go in and actually repair the meniscus, which is a much longer recovery. That's the Adrian Peterson knee injury in 2016, where he was gone for almost the entire season. That's because they repaired the meniscus. Plenty of times, and I think that this happens less frequently than it used to, plenty of times they'll just say, I just I want to get back and play as soon as possible. Take take just like Ronnie Lott saying, take my pinky, uh, guys would say, take my meniscus, and then they 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 wake up one day and they're bone on bone in their knee and that's a problem. They took my meniscus. So Ramsey getting it repaired, but he'll be out a much longer time. And you know, again, we spend all the months of the off season, Miles, talking about how this team's going to be good and this team's better and what about this team and what about that team and how's it going to go. And the one thing that we can't factor into it is who's going to go down when it's time to start practicing and playing. You take Jalen Ramsey out of the mix for the Dolphins, one of the biggest improvements they made this year, all of a sudden the Dolphins aren't as improved as they were. And it just it happens like that.
0: Yeah, it does. And this, this is really significant because look, Jalen Ramsey is a top tier defensive back. And I think when you put him in that defense with Vic Fangio, no, he has not played for Vic Fangio before, but he's played in the Vic Fangio system with the Los Angeles Rams, first under Brandon Staley, and then they kept a lot of those principles under defensive coordinator Raheem Morris. And when I would watch Jalen Ramsey, you know, here in Los Angeles at Rams games, it's like he's one of those dudes that you just understand is very special because it's not like you don't understand what lockdown corners can be. But defensive backs a lot of the time aren't just electric, you know, where you want to watch them on every single snap just to see what it is that they're going to do. That's the kind of player that Jalen Ramsey is because he can go and he can cover dudes, you know, in the secondary, in the defensive backfield, wherever you need him to be. But he can also come up there and run support and make sure that things don't get worse than they could be a- as a player. So, you know, he plays that what they call the star position in the defense. So he can be inside, he can be outside he can do all these kinds of different things and that's a significant position that now they're not going to have either early on in the season or for most of the season. So I you know I was thinking Miami could really make some strides especially defensively when you add a guy like Vic Fangio who's coordinating that defense. but if you don't have Jalen Ramsey and you don't have somebody who is that good on that defense and that that really makes them at least in my mind take a bit of a step back.
1: And health is one of the big issues hovering over the Dolphins generally, primarily with yes. their quarterback, Tua Tagovailoa. But yes. But again, all these pieces that you accumulate, whether it's through the draft, free agency, trades, whatever, it all looks good on paper. And the process of transitioning from paper to reality happens when camp opens and guys get injured even though training camp practices aren't nearly as intense as they used to be no more two a days no more tackling to the ground you still have guys out there when you see the clips of it they get pretty intense with the bump and run coverage and the change of direction and all it takes is one bad step all it takes is is one application of pressure and force to a joint in a way that that isn't all that fortuitous and the next thing you know a key player is injured, and we don't know when he's going to be back. And again, I think that six to eight weeks is optimistic. It's very optimistic. It's more like nine to 12 when you're talking about a full-blown meniscus repair. And they're probably not going to put him out there until they're 100% certain that he's fine, it's good, he's healed, and they're ready to go. Because they will be okay without him, because they were okay without him last year. This was difference maker. This was catch-and-pass-the-bills type of a move. And now... You know, and it happened to the Bills this week, but Naheem Hines, not as critical a piece to the Bills as Jalen Ramsey is to the Dolphins, but still. And we're just getting started. I mean, we r- really, we've had the Joe Burrow near miss. We've had the Jalen Ramsey injury. We had the C.J. Gardner-Johnson, which ended up not being as bad as we thought it was going to be earlier this week. I mean, that's the thing. You've got to go through these next few weeks. Just with this constant background noise of this possibility, any given moment, any given day, the tweet's going to come through, the video's going to show up, that some key player is done, and right. uh oh, everything changes. Everything we thought about that team and how they interact with the other teams just dramatically changes, and then we have to go back and regroup. And as we're regrouping, there could be some other change that happens.
0: Yes, exactly. Well, see, well, as it pertains to the Dolphins specifically, like I, I think that they'll still be all right in part because they have Vic Fangio. And, you know, I, you could say either the Vikings or the dolphins may have upgraded the most at one of those coaching assistant positions or actually the Patriots fall into that too. But when you look at it and you say, okay, we now have Vic Fangio here who for my money is probably the best defensive coordinator in the league, the best defensive schemer, so much so that everybody's been kind of trying to say, all right, well, what does he do? To make sure that offenses aren't as effective and let's mimic and emulate that. Well, if you've got the OG of it, then that means you probably are in pretty darn good shape from a scheme standpoint. And I think that the dolphins are going to be that much better because they have him. Right. But I think if you take away an elite player like Jalen Ramsey from that, you might not be in elite defense anymore, but you should still be pretty damn good. So the Dolphins should be okay, especially because they've got an offense and an offensive schemer in Mike McDaniel who understands what he needs to do, right? So I I think that the Dolphins should be fine, but they're not going to be as good as they would have been if Jalen Ramsey were a big part of that defense.
1: But you make a great point with Fangio, and the defense wasn't horrible last year. They're working their way toward becoming one of the more balanced teams in the NFL, which is the key. Great offense, improving defense. In Minnesota, I agree with you. You bring in Brian Flores, huge upgrade as it relates to the coach, but they don't Mm -hmm. have the players. The Dolphins have the players. Even without Jalen Ramsey, the Dolphins have the players. So so Dolphins fans, don't don't throw in the towel yet by any means. You'll be fine without Jalen Ramsey, and he'll be back at some point for the stretch run, presumably, and will make the Dolphins even more fine. All right, let's take a break. Nothing fine between the Broncos and the Jets. Week 5 got got interesting all of a sudden a lot of great games on the calendar for the Jets this year the Broncos week five had not been one of them it now is thanks to some comments from new Broncos coach Sean Payton we will unpack everything he had to say about former Broncos coach and current Jets offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett when PFT Live continues right after this Well, this got it started yesterday. Jarrett Bell, who, who posted an item on Wednesday where Sean Payton had some very candid criticism of the NFL as it relates to educating players when it comes to gambling with words like shameful and embarrassing. And he pointed out that owners can own pieces of DraftKings and FanDuel. That was just the appetizer to what came yesterday. The main course got dropped yesterday via that tweet from Jarrett Bell. And oh my God, Sean Payton (laughs) obliterated former Broncos coach Nathaniel Hackett to the point where my first thought, Miles, was, uh uh-oh, he thought he was off the record. And Jarrett Bell thought he was on the record. That was my first thought. And we haven't heard that in the past 24 hours. So I assume that's not going to be the excuse. That was all off the record. But that's what I thought. It was so harsh and so unprecedented to have a coach go, and we'll get into the comments, but to have a coach go after another coach in the NFL with that kind of vitriol, I thought this was an off-the-record conversation and there was a miscommunication between reporter and subject.
0: Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a joke when I saw one of the quotes from the article. I was like oh, well, this is an interpretation of what Sean Payton said. And I clicked on it and I read it and I was like, no, that's a direct quote. Wow. Because usually you hear platitudes from coaches, right? Like when Sean McVay replaced Jeff Fisher, it was, oh, I wasn't here. I don't know how they were coached, but this is how we're going to do it now. And it was most of that for the entire 2017 season. This, this is something entirely different. I've never seen anything like this before.
1: Well, and there's a couple of different reasons for it. First of all, you don't want to unnecessarily stir up someone that you will encounter at some point on the football field. You don't want to give them (laughs) any extra incentive to want to kick your ass. It's the old Lou Holtz approach. Everybody that Lou Holtz always faced was the greatest team he's ever seen. Um, And and the other side of it, too, is it's a closed industry with 32 Mm -hmm. shops. And if you start pissing off people at the other shops, you may need them at some point. Now, Sean Payton may be at the juncture of his career where this is it for him. This is my last job. I don't care who I piss off. I don't care what I say. I don't need Robert Sala. I don't need Nathaniel Hackett at some point later in my career. I got my money, and I'm getting a lot more of it from the Walmart clan over the course of the next five years, I'm out, I'm done, I'm 60, see you later, I'll piss off whoever I want. So there is a certain freedom in removing yourself from the, the the incestuous nature of this guy's working with this guy and this guy needs a job from this guy and these two are tied together. This completely throws that out the window, that level of professional courtesy that you see because you may need that person that you're, you're taking aim at. And, and yeah, some coaches either don't care or have evolved past the point where they need to care. And I think that's one of the reasons why we don't hear the kind of stuff we heard yesterday. Most coaches can't afford to just burn any possible bridge that they may have to some other job at some point.
0: Right. And what's funny, and you know, we were saying this on the text chain. I mean, John Payton was on Fox all last year, and I don't think that he said anything that was like 25% as this incendiary as these comments that he made to Jerry. Didn't have Bell. the job so, yet. Didn't yeah, have the not. job
1: yet. Now he's got the job. Now he's got the guaranteed contract. So here's some of the stuff that he said. Uh, and and this all relates to why things went so poorly last year for the Denver Broncos. They bring in Russell Wilson, everything's great, the Broncos are gonna be great, everything's awesome, and we know what happened. And said Peyton, there's so much dirt around that. Twenty dirty hands for what was allowed. Tolerated in the freaking training rooms and meeting rooms. The offense, I don't know Nathaniel Hackett. A lot of people had dirt on their hands. It wasn't just Russell. He didn't just flip. He still has it. This BS that he's hit a wall. Shoot, they couldn't get a play in. They were 29th in the league in pre-snap penalties on both sides of the ball. And then this one. Everyone's got a little stink on their hands. It's not just Russell. It was a poor offensive line. It might have been one of the worst coaching jobs in the history of the NFL. Wow. I mean, that's the one you never hear. That's the one that never gets said. That is completely and totally gratuitous, and I would submit unnecessary. Why do you need to say that publicly? It's one thing to say it privately to get your players to turn the page from last year to this year. To tell the world that Nathaniel Hackett might have done one of the worst head coaching jobs in the history of the NFL – I believe it serves no purpose. We're going to delve into the psychology of this later. I think it serves no purpose to say that publicly. It really doesn't. What what does it gain for you to 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 utter those words anywhere but in the meeting room, in the locker room, in a place where it's only heard by the guys who need to hear it?
0: or off the record, right? I mean, that's one of those quotes that kind of made me think the same thing that you did, where I was like, whoa, this is is a lot. And that's the one I saw where I'm thinking, oh, this is an interpretation of what Sean Payton said, and it's not an interpretation. Sean Payton literally said that. And the fact is, I don't really think he's wrong, right? I mean, I don't know what in the world we said over the course of however many shows we did last year when Nathaniel Hackett was still the uh, head coach of the Denver Broncos. But I mean, oh, you know, I know what I, I said here oh, and talking about we can find the tape. Mom, I thought it was we, shit. We, Yeah. Well, exactly. So, well, thank you. Thank you for yelling that over my comments there, but you're not wrong. I mean, (laughs) I was going to say you and I constantly said he was in over his skis. He was, he was at a position that he clearly was not ready for. Right. And whether or not he's going to be ready to be a head coach at some point else in his career, we don't know, but that was not the job for him. Right. The Peter principle, whatever you want to call it, he advanced too far and it just did not work. And we saw it from week, one on. It just was never going to work there for Nathaniel, thing, which is why he got fired before they even completed the season. So, Again, it's not like Sean Payton is all that wrong about what he said. But like you said, Mike, it it is a little past the line of what purpose does this serve to say this publicly to the entire world? Whereas, you know, you could say this in a meeting or off the record or whatever it happens to be and the right people are going to get the message.
1: Oh, it was a slow-motion train wreck from the get-go. Week one at Seattle. That ridiculous confusion at the end of the game. And Uh, they played the percentages for what was it? A 75-yard field goal. I mean, it was just so stupid. And we all knew it was stupid. I mean, we all knew how stupid it was. Like, everybody but Nathaniel Hackett knew how stupid it was. And that's what made it so rare. Because on, on what topic does anyone universally agree in sports right. or anything nowadays. It was universal yeah. agreement in the aftermath of that game that Nathaniel Hackett didn't know what the hell he was doing. And then after yes. week two, remember, they went out and they hired a coach to coach the coach. They brought yes. in Jerry Rosberg, I think. I can't even Rossburg. remember now. I'm trying to wipe the you whole thing. You don't bird. remember Rossburg, Sheriff Romsburg, Jerry
0: Rosberg? Throw in he a, came in and cleaned in up a the a town after Nathaniel consonant. Hackett got fired. Jerry Rosberg, baby. Woo! Throw in a vowel.
1: Rossburg, Romsburg, potato, potato, regardless, they had to go get a coach to coach the coach. It was, it was a disaster and we all saw it happening, but you're right. It wasn't like Sean Payton was on Fox every week saying, man, this is one of the worst coaching jobs in the history of the NFL, but he had no reason to say it then. Now he's got a reason to say it. And part of the problem too, was in comes Russell Wilson. And now Like It's the Russell Wilson experience in full bloom. That's what he had wanted in Seattle. He wanted the offense to run through him. So he rolls into town as superstar with all these other members of his entourage. And Peyton's already talked about that. There is an element of repetition to the idea of all the stuff that was going on. Because I remember back during Super Bowl week, that's when we started to see quotes from Peyton that all that stuff isn't going to happen anymore. All these other people, they ain't going to be here. They're not going to be around here. And, and he was touching on that and the idea that there were others beyond Nathaniel Hackett mm-hmm. who enabled and allowed this. And that's significant because some of those people are still there, which makes it a little awkward when we see the next quote to Jared Bell. It wasn't Russell's fault. It was the parents who allowed it. That's not an incrimination on Russell, but an incrimination of the head coach, the GM, the president, and everybody else who watched it happen, including ownership. Didn't say that, but I will, including ownership. Mm -hmm. Now, a quarterback having an office and a place to watch film is normal, but all those things get magnified when you're losing. And that other stuff, I've never heard of it. We're not doing that. Now... George Payton was the GM who traded for Russell and allowed all this to happen last year. And I remember hearing around the time of the draft, hey, watch out. George Payton may be out in Denver. And I poked around a little bit and I was like, oh, no, no, that's not happening. He's great. He's great. (laughs) Well, I'm, <laughs> I, if I'm George Payton, I'm I'm starting to explore the the housing market in Denver to see when I should put that that sign in my front yard and get full value for the house I bought out there. That is an ominous frickin' comment to throw him in there, to throw the team president who just got there in there, and to indirectly throw ownership in there. He's castigating everyone who was there, even though ninety percent of them are still there, Miles?
0: Yeah, that part, too, is what really caught my eye, especially when you were talking about George Payton. And when somebody is the general manager of a franchise, that is one of the premier spots, right? So if you're going to be the head coach and you're going to criticize your GM that much, that much, that publicly, that's going to be a thing. And that's going to now be a story Throughout their entire time together, whether it's just this season, whether it's just a couple more weeks, whether it happens to be years. I mean, that is something to me that really, really stands out. Because, look, if you're the head coach, you might not interact with the team president all that much. You know, you don't depend on the team president for player evaluation and stuff like that cuz the team president is running the business side right you you interact with ownership certainly which is probably part of why you, know, you didn't have ownership in there in those comments because they're obviously are paying Sean Payton's salary but when you're talking about the GM and you're relying on the GM for player evaluation and your and player acquisition in a lot of ways that's a very very pointed criticism and I can understand why that might have ruffled some feathers in the building?
1: Well, but but Miles, even though he did not specifically mention ownership, ownership was involved last year. They had just gotten on the scene well, they in Bought August. the
0: team, yeah, right,
1: right, right. But when when Sean Payton specifically includes this phrase in his comment, everybody else who watched it all happen, hmm. I mean, what he's saying is, where are the grown ups here? Where yes. are the adults? Was no one able to recognize what was happening and how it was happening and how we were allowing this to happen and how we created this mess? Why did no one stand up and say, We can't have this? So he comes through the door and he's taking a flamethrower to the place and he's saying through this comment, The rest of you are idiots. How did you all let this <laughs> happen? And again, that thing if you're gonna say that, if if you're gonna have the nerve to go in there and say to George Payton, to Monty Leach, the team president, Greg Penner, the CEO, and everyone else in ownership, Condi Rice, you name it, what the hell was wrong with you people last year? What the, were you all drunk? Were you all asleep? Are you all stupid? Why did you let this happen? It's one thing to have that kind of attitude in the building. But yes. when you take it out of the building, when you allow that to I mean. And, and and hey, I, I mean, look, I I'm going to go back to an attitude I judge thing happening. I said if this was any other coach, we would be saying this guy has lost his damn mind. So mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say, you know, Sean Payton has a certain amount of equity built up. He's got a track record. If it was any other coach, we would be saying this person has
0: lost his damn mind. Uh, no doubt, yeah. I mean, I, I think he didn't necessarily say this, but like when you're talking about everything that went down and when you're talking about ownership there, I mean you just said it like they came in in August. So a lot of these practices that were with Russell Wilson, you know with the entourage, if you want to call it that in the building and all of that different stuff that had been established before they even got there. You know, within the offseason program, when they're starting to install everything and you have Nathaniel Hackett as the head coach and it's this and it's that. And it's like, well, you can try to say, or the adults in the room, but if you just get there in August, it's kind of difficult to then be like, wait a minute, this isn't right. Especially when you've never led an NFL franchise before. Now, that doesn't necessarily excuse it all, but... I think that that is a factor in it. So to me, the, the point of criticism there is much more at the general manager and at George Payton than it is in terms of the other people that are involved in it.
1: I agree with you to an extent, but I, I would submit that you at least concede that ownership, to use one of your phrases, caught astray from that comment. At <laughs> yes, a minimum, yes, they caught astray. Yes, okay, yes, I'll take it yes. a step farther than that though, because okay. I said all last year, These Walmart people, Greg Penner, the CEO of Walmart, these are titans of industry who are in a position to fully understand organizational dynamics, professional psychological interactions, how these things work, how to get the most out of people. And you could argue, given the accomplishments that they have had in private business, when they walk through the door and they see what's going on here, at some point, one of them between greg penner his father-in-law rob walton his wife carrie walton penner one of them is going to say something doesn't seem right here and then you throw condi rice into the mix who's been at the highest levels of government somebody's are we handling this the right way and at least condi rice has been around football she worked you know, kind of arm in arm with David Shaw at Stanford. And she's been interested in football for years. And she caught a stray on this as well because she watched it all happen. I'm just, I'm just trying to help everybody understand and myself too, in real time, as we break this down, he, I mean, he, he, he blew it all up. I mean, he's going after everybody on this, either by name or indirectly.
0: Yes, but at the same time, I mean, if you buy a team in August and then they have all these things that basically you're not going to be able to change all that much between August and, you know, let's call it December or January when the season is going to be over. You're you're kind of locked in to what you're going to be for that season by August, right? Uh, so uh, even if Jerry you get Romsburg in there. could
1: have come in and told him to do some things differently. <laughs> they brought in yeah. the coach, the coach, well, the they, coach. They brought,
0: I know, but I'm saying like, okay, so if you if you get in there in August and then I don't know who at whose prompting it was to hire Sheriff Jerry Rosberg, but then he comes in. And then by the end of the calendar year, Nathaniel Hackett's gone. So it's not like they sat on their hands and did nothing for over a year. Right. Were they patient? And did they do? Did they let things play out a little bit? Yes. But in some ways, you kind of have to do that when you get there in August and things are already locked in, you know?
1: Miles, Miles, you're overcomplicating it. Peyton said Am I? everybody else who watched it all happen. Yes, I know. My point is, it doesn't matter whether or not the flamethrower, hang on, it doesn't matter whether or not the flamethrower that Peyton took to the whole organization, including ownership, is justified. What matters is he did it. Okay. Yes, he okay. did it. Yes. When he says everybody else who watched it all happen, he did it. So that makes it even more delicate for him moving forward because he lumped in people who could make your argument. We just got here in August. What the hell are we supposed to do? <laughs> right. We just bought the damn team. We don't know what's going on. I thought this was normal. I, I don't. I don't know. I've been. I've been selling diapers and frosted flakes and, and car batteries for my whole life. I haven't run a football team. So, so I mean, let's not lose sight of the fact when he says everybody else who watched it all happen, he is throwing dirt at ownership, all ownership. And, and I'm, you know, and uh, Greg Penner and I keep, Coming back to Condi Rice because she's the one who at least has the football knowledge. So, anyway, I don't want us to get too far afield with this. The point is he nuked everybody in those comments in his own building and out of his building.
0: Yes, yes. On that, we do agree. But I I do think it's not – I don't know. I I guess I am overcomplicating it a bit and saying that, like, okay, well, you know, it's not like they didn't act. They did. They fired a thing for the end of the season. And they brought in Sean Payton. So – you know, right. I mean, at a certain point, what else were they going to do?
1: Well, right. But they watched it all happen and they let it all happen. Yes. And his implication in all this is somebody could have stood up and intervened and stopped it. And again, right, right or wrong, who? that's what he said. So that's yes. part of the issue that he's going to have to deal with as we move forward. And there's been silence from the Denver Broncos and Sean Payton in the 24 hours since these comments landed. I don't know what the media schedule is when he next has a press conference. He spoke to reporters on Wednesday. I would say between now and Sunday, we'll probably hear from him again. And I got a feeling this is probably going to be a pretty hot topic of conversation when Sean Payton or others from the Broncos have to speak. It was a hot topic yesterday as the New York Jets provided some some commentary to the situation because... It wasn't just Nathaniel Hackett as offensive coordinator of the Jets that pulled that team into this mix. It was Peyton commenting on this concept of winning the offseason. It doesn't happen often where an NFL team or organization gets embarrassed and that happened here. Part of it was their own fault relative to spending so much expletive time trying to win the offseason. The PR, the pomp and circumstance, marching people around and all this stuff. We're not doing any of that. The Jets did that this year. You watch. Hard knocks. All of it. I can see it coming. Remember when Dan Snyder put that dream team together? I was at the Giants. I was a young coach. I thought, how are we going to compete with them? Deion Sanders is there now. That team won eight games or whatever. So listen, just put the work in. Yes, yes, Sean, Sean. Very good advice. Very sage. (laughs) Very wise. Just put the work in. When I saw that, I thought, yes, yes. Why are you saying all this? This is all stuff that should be confined to behind closed doors, not out in yeah. the open. Because now, week five, here come the Jets. The Jets, who otherwise are swamped with the Bills twice, the Dolphins twice, the Patriots twice, the Chiefs, the Chargers, the Cowboys, the Giants, the Eagles. The, the Broncos game was, was a, you know a rest stop as part of this marathon, this gauntlet they have to run. Now, all of a sudden, you got the full attention of the Jets come week five. Now, all of a sudden, a game that I would have looked at that day and said, now that's, that's must-see TV when the Jets and the Broncos play, all because of what Sean Payton had to say.
0: Yeah, that's true. And the, the funny thing, too, is, you know, oh, they're doing hard knocks. They didn't want to do hard knocks. They famously did not want to do hard knocks. I mean, everybody knows that they were basically forced into doing hard knocks and they've got to put these provisions around like, Hey, we don't want them showing this and that. And you know, every team gets final approval of what's on hard knocks. But I think that the criticism of them for being excited that Aaron Rodgers, Aaron freaking Rogers is going to come in and be their quarterback. Like, yeah, you should be excited about that. I'm sorry. And to criticize them for being on hard knocks. I think that that's a little ridiculous.
1: Well, well, but let me say this, and, and you're right, they didn't want to do hard knocks. But with the whole Aaron Rodgers thing, th- th- this is where there, I think, becomes tension within an organization because you've got the business side of it that wants to fully embrace the hype and profit from it. You've got the football side that would be inclined to say, let's tap the brakes a bit. Let's not let this get out of control. I think back to your Cleveland Browns of 2019, the year after Uh, they kind of rose up for the first time in forever and the uh, the expectations went through the roof. And I said in this very chair, you need somebody, you need somebody to control these expectations because it's going to be perceived as a failure if you don't get to the playoffs and maybe advance a round or two. And you need somebody to be saying, We haven't proven anything. We haven't done anything. Robert Sala in New York should arguably be saying, we haven't been to the playoffs. We haven't done a damn thing. We don't know how this is going to work. Look at how all these supposed great teams of the past have failed to fulfill their potential. we got to compete with everyone on our schedule. Have you seen our schedule? Have you seen who we have to play? Now, he had Sean Payton say all that stuff for him. Robert Sala didn't say any of that yesterday. Here's some of what he had to say when he had a chance to respond to Sean Payton's criticism of the Jets as this year's dream team.
2: Well, I'm not going to acknowledge Sean on that. Is he, you know, he's been in the league a while. He can say whatever the hell he wants. But, uh, but as far as you know, what we have going on here, it's, um, you know the. I kind of live by saying if you ain't got no haters, you ain't popping. So hate away. You know, it's uh, obviously we're doing something right. If you got to talk about us when we don't play it till week four and I'm good with it, you know, but, uh, you know, the guys in our locker room, they, they've earned everything that's coming to them um, um, and really excited about what's going on. I think Hackett's doing a phenomenal job here. Him, the uh, coaching staff is doing a phenomenal job and, and we're focused on us. I get it. There's a lot of external noise. There's a lot of people who are hating on us. There's a lot of people looking for us to fail. There's a lot of crows pecking at our neck. Uh, but all you can do is spread your wings, keep flying high until those crows fall off and suffocate from the inability to breathe. It's a whole other analogy I'll get into later. But, uh, but really, really, really excited about the group we have, the coaching that's going on. and uh, um, But I'm going to keep our focus on us and making sure that we're prepared every single day to do the best we can and uh, learn from our past and grow with, grow with every, every moment that we have.
1: He's just rattling off clichés there to see which one's going to work. I, and and he's <laughs> saying if you ain't got no haters you ain't popping so hate away. It doesn't really fit on a t-shirt. It needs to be a little Ooh. more concise to really have the impact, right? I just it's a little too wordy. Good sayings aren't very wordy. But I I get his I get his point and and you're right. They're relevant now. They're relevant they have Aaron Rodgers. They think they're onto something pretty good. But really, there hasn't been much of an attempt by the Jets to tamp down those expectations. And I think that's part of the organizational tension. The business side, raise that bar. Raise that bar and count that cash. That would look good on a t-shirt. That's, what like it's that. go- that's what's going on with the Jets. Somebody's got to be the adult in the room there and say, we haven't done a GD thing here. We haven't been to a playoffs. We, you know, we, we fell apart last year. So anyway, um, Hey, week five, I can't wait. I can't wait. Uh, too early to flex it to Sunday night. I, we got the jets on Sunday (laughs) night, week four against the chiefs. They're not going to be able to catch their breath. They're going to be ready to go the next week against the Broncos and the Broncos are going to be ready for them.
0: Yeah. I mean, they should be look, I mean, I think what Robert Sala said was decent, you know, to try and rally his team. Right. And that's something that he's done from the podium before, you know, last year when he was talking about receipts and I guess we can have the receipts now from last year because they ended up falling apart. So that's one thing, but you know, when he's like, Oh, I'm not going to acknowledge Sean. And then he has, this entire answer that basically does acknowledge everything that he said. That's I mean, it's a rhetorical device at that point. you are talking about crows and pecking at your neck and flying so high that they can't breathe and all these different things. Like you said, it's different cliches. Maybe one sticks against the wall and it actually works. I I don't know. But I, I think that there's reason certainly to be excited if you are a Jets fan. But you do have to tamper that with, oh, yeah, by the way, we weren't really all that good last year. You know, what did we do? Big Jets, what have we done? Not a damn thing. Come on. Like, let's, let's, let's. I think that that might be a better way of embracing it.
1: That's the approach that one time Jets coach Lou Holtz would have indeed taken. And yes, once upon a time, for like one year, he was the head coach of the New York Jets. Billy Turner, who was with the Broncos. Last year, and is now with the New York Jets. Went to social media, and uh, we got to do a better job blocking out that word. I can see <laughs> that word, baby. That <laughs> I see that word. <laughs> but but before that word, <laughs> we need a, we need a new sharpie. Our sharpie is uh, is uh, out of ink. Running. Seems like someone started training camp and is trying to soften the blow after realizing what he's in for this season. And you know. I wouldn't be surprised if Billy Turner kind of picked that up in the locker room yesterday. See, there may be a difference between what Robert Sala said publicly and what he may have said in the locker room. And it's possible he said in the locker room while trying to explain the attack on their offensive coordinator, you know, Peyton thinks he's going to lose this year. Peyton thinks he's going to have a long year, and he wants to set up the blame now that it's on last year, that last year was so bad. It kept me from winning this year.
0: Maybe. But he also said that he would be ticked off if he the team didn't make the playoffs this year. So I mean, I don't know. I guess that it is in some ways trying to do that and trying to set this up or trying to set that yeah, up. He'll be ticked I, off I don't, I don't really because know. they
1: did it because it was so bad last year. That's why I'm ticked off. Right. This team should make the playoffs, but they were so bad last year and it was so toxic and negative and and everything <laughs> it shouldn't have been. I couldn't overcome it in one year. Don't blame me.
0: Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, at a certain point, then, you, you know, then who's standing up and or not standing up and letting it all happen when Sean Payton's the head coach there, right? Aren't you the, supposed to be the guy where the buck stops? If you are now the leader of men, that is the Denver for the Denver Broncos and all this stuff. I mean, I, I don't know, man. I, I think I, when you're, when Sean Payton said this, He had to know that this was going to get some sort of reaction, right? And so maybe he does it because he's trying to say, look, all of the stuff that was last year is last year, right? I'm leaving that in the past. And now we have to rally around each other and rally around ourselves because, look, it wasn't your fault what happened last year. Right. Everything that happened last year is the fault of somebody who is no longer in the building. So my expectations are that we are going to be a damn good team. We're going to be a playoff team because all that crap last year with the 20 dirty hands, those dirty hands are out of the building, except for, you know, George Payton and also the team president and ownership. So like that to me is kind of where I see it. And it's kind of why he might have done it. But again, I don't necessarily know why you got to do that publicly in a newspaper.
1: Exactly. Exactly. These are all messages that are best communicated privately. What is the strategic reason for taking that frustration public? And as I said earlier, if it was any other coach, we'd be saying, I'd be saying, he's lost his damn mind. But it's Sean Payton. He gets the benefit of the doubt. Super Bowl champion. Great offensive mind. Very strategic. Very deliberate. Very intentional. And that's where even though Sean Payton said nothing yesterday, that's where the game becomes uh, media manipulation. And when your friends in the media begin to take up for you and explain why you did what you did. And there's a collection of tweets that have been publicized (laughs) by the, uh, what's the Twitter account? The Cool Your Jets Twitter account. And, And when you look at these... It's almost like they all got the same phone call. They're all operating off the same sheet of music. Everything he does is intentional. Everything he does is deliberate. Nothing is accidental. This is all the talking point of he's trying to boost his team. He's trying to make his team better. He's doing what he's doing for a reason. There's method to the madness. Instead of people saying, has he lost his mind? Jeff Duncan, who covered the Saints throughout the entire time Sean Payton was the coach. Folks, Sean Payton is building up the confidence of the quarterback, letting him know that he's got his back. If there's collateral damage in the way of completing that mission, trust me, he doesn't care. This is all about his team and his quarterback, nothing more, nothing less. So, I guess the argument would be that Sean Payton said all those things privately, but for some reason decided that to properly prop up his quarterback, he needed to take it public. Like, that's the unexplained angle here. Why did all this stuff have to be public? Anything he said to Jared Bell, he could have just said behind closed doors and avoided stirring up the Jets, stirring up Nathaniel Hackett, and having people say, if it was anybody but Sean Payton, we'd say this guy's lost his damn mind.
0: Well, I think that there is also a way to prop up your quarterback in the media and through, you know, whoever, whatever columnist you want, whether it's Jarrett Bell or somebody else, um, without also saying that this was one of the worst coaching jobs in the history of the NFL, right? I mean, you can say, I don't know what he was taught last year or I don't know what the scheme was, or I don't know what what, blah, blah, blah. But I can tell you that this year, I firmly believe that Russell Wilson will be the guy that we know that he can be. Right. And I think that also props up your quarterback without having to be that particularly incendiary. And yeah, I guess that because of Sean Payton's status as an NFL head coach, right? I mean, somebody who has won a Super Bowl, somebody who was there for so long, and you just you understand kind of the some of the psychology behind what he's doing, um, he has more of a latitude. A more of a, a longer rope, let's call it to do something like this, to say something like this, because you, if it's, I don't know, give me the first year head coach. Like if Jonathan Gannon came in and he was like, I don't know what Cliff Kingsbury was doing. And this is one of the worst coaching jobs in the history of the NFL. We would all be like, what the absolute bleep, like coming from you. Oh, what in the world? Like the, the, it makes it a little bit different, I, I think, but it's still like just one of those things where you're like, Oh my goodness, this is a lot.
1: But you know what? There, there's a way to accomplish the same thing without being quite so blunt and harsh. What, what Sean Payton could have said is, look, I've got the benefit of experience. I've been around. I've seen some things. I've been a first-year head coach. Last year in Denver, the problem was there was too much first-year. First-year GM was... First year head coach, although Peyton was in his second year, but but you know, there's a lot of new. There's a lot of people trying to adjust to things on the fly. We got new ownership. We got a new quarterback in a in a new city. We got a new coach GM relationship. There's just too many things that were new. And too many people may be trying to get comfortable in their new surroundings that no one was in position to look at the big picture and ask, is everything working? And so that happens sometimes. We've seen that happen before in football, where there's too much new. That would have been a way to do it that doesn't nuke everybody. Just say too much new. Last year entailed too much new. And and you know what? That's right. That's a great explanation for it. Because we we look anytime anybody's new at a job. Think of your first year at any job you've ever had. You you shop for a new place to work. You're dealing with new people all the time. You've got a new office. You have to adjust your your body, your brain, everything about you has to get used to this. So when mm-hmm. everyone is all new. It's hard to have that connective tissue that pulls everyone together and helps everyone understand what we need to do to be on the same page. There are going to be issues. There are going to be problems. That would have been a way to explain it that, you know, would have been far less entertaining. We would have had far fewer page views on the story, so I'm glad he didn't do it that way. But it would have avoided this this mess that Sean Payton's going to have to clean up either indirectly through friends in the media or directly whenever he speaks to the media.
0: Well, I was going to say, I mean, like, yeah, but if he does, if he soft pedals it like that, then like, we're not talking about it. I mean, that's a nothing burger story that maybe we cover, maybe we don't. And then we just kind of all move on. And I guess that in some ways, that's what you want. If you're a head coach, right? I mean, ask Sean McDermott, if he regrets saying that he was very concerned about Stefan Diggs in the middle of June, right? We're still talking about that. I just made him catch astray a stray in a segment that we're doing on Sean Payton because- (laughs) Because it was such a weird turn of phrase in the middle of June. So everything that a head coach says can be dissected, parsed, all these different things. And for somebody who, in Sean Payton who has been a part of the NFL for as long as he has, who was a head coach for as long as he has, who spent last year doing media for Fox every day, and it's not like he doesn't know that his comments, whatever they may be, are going to be blown up. So this was very um, interesting, I will put it like that, just because you don't often see head coach comments go this far, go this attacking, and be something that we can talk about for as long as we've talked about it.
1: I want to wrap this segment with one final observation that has been rattling around inside my brain, waiting for the right opportunity to come out. The most hilarious aspect of all of this, don't don't prejudge. The most hilarious aspect of all of this is that Nathaniel Hackett has said one of the reasons he gave Russell Wilson such wide berth was because when he and Matt LaFleur went to Green Bay in 2019, they got pushback from the delicate genius known as Aaron Rodgers. And now Hackett and Rodgers are... Are back together again. So if we drill this all the way down to the root cause. One of the reasons Hackett let Russell Wilson run wild last year was he didn't want to have the same issues they had with Aaron Rodgers in 2019. So it's ultimately all Aaron Rodgers' fault. That's my that's my final point. All right. Uh, when we return, Peter King has begun his training camp tour. He will be joining us from wherever he was. He was actually with hey. the Jets yesterday, and there he is. There's Peter. We'll talk to Peter King when PFT Live continues right after this.